This message by Bill Kittrell was recorded during a Sunday celebration service for Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. Bill serves as a senior pastor on staff at Cornerstone Church. Thanks so much for being here this morning. It's a joy to be together. Cody, thank you for that testimony. It was very helpful, very encouraging. Malachi, we're going to look at chapter 3 and chapter 4. So turn with me to the last book, the Old Testament. This is our last message from the Minor Prophets. What a great summer it has been. Special shout out to all those of you watching via live stream. We are so grateful that you would tune in. I never know where the camera is. I'm always trying to look at you, but we're aware you're there and um, humbled that you would join us. Grateful you're, you're able to participate in that way this morning. Malachi chapter 3, start reading with me please in verse 13 and we'll read to the end of the book. The last words of the Old Testament. This is God's word. Inspired, authoritative, sufficient, just what we need this morning. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts. And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. And the Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. And then once more, you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between the one who serves God and one who does not serve him. Chapter 4. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from a stall. And you shall tread down the wicked 
for they will be ashes under the sole of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he, the Lord, will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Thus says the Lord, God bless your holy word. Main point today, serve the Lord knowing it matters. Serve the Lord knowing it matters. He does make a distinction. He will on that day and he will today. Almost 44 years ago, August of 1977, the Lord saved me. He opened up the eyes of my heart. And I saw the glory of God, like Cody. I can so relate to that. I saw the glory of God in the face of Christ. It changed my life. It gave me the gift of faith. I was spiritually dead in my trespasses and sin. But he made me alive. I was given a new life. What's always been striking to me as I think back to that is not only was my life transformed, but my view of the Bible, my love for the scriptures was transformed. I have a picture here of a little New Testament. It's a New Testament in Psalms, and it was given to me at some point along the line at a church when I was growing up, and I hadn't seen it for a long time when the Lord saved me that night. I've always been convinced. I was convinced then, told everybody that would listen, that an angel took it out of a drawer and put it on my, my, my table beside my bed. You may not believe that, but I don't care. I do. It was on my table, and I began to read it. I, I put my name and the date on the inside of, of that little Bible. I think we have a picture of that. See, and then one of my stupid kids took a pen. And <laughs> so, then that's when you ask yourself, why did I have children? Why? Who, whose ideal was this? But that, that little Bible was in, it was King, it's a King James Bible. It's different than the modern version, more modern version I'm reading today. And, and it's harder to read and understand, but I love that little Bible. And I read that little Bible. And my, my point is, we've spent this summer studying a portion of the Bible that we don't normally study. The 12 minor prophets. We don't, we don't often read them and we certainly don't dig into them and try to study them. They were written centuries ago. It, it was a vastly different culture. They, they address issues that often don't seem to relate to us. But this summer, as is so often the case, we've seen wonderful things, haven't we? 
in God's Word. And many of you have said something to me about this. You've come and said, man, the minor prophets, give it up for the minor prophets. They are serving my soul. I feel the same. The Lord has just encouraged our, our faith. They're the minor prophets, but they're God's Word. And they've really impacted us. And I think if, if nothing else, we've been reminded that the Word of God is living and active. It pierces our soul. Even the minor prophets. This text we've read this morning are the last words of the Old Testament. It'd be hundreds of years before Matthew would be written. The events would happen that are recorded in Matthew. And as we look back from the New Testament, things look so much clearer. We can see from this vantage point, God was at work. And it really is amazing. They've sung together. Remember we talked about how these 12 were put together in the Hebrew Bible, the 12 minor prophets. They were put together and they're meant to sing together. They've affirmed God's love. We'll see that again today in Malachi. They've, they've clarified together what it means that God's committed to his people. They've reminded us. They've inspired us to reflect on who God is. Again today we'll see that in Malachi. To enjoy our fellowship with him. They announce the coming of Christ. So often again... In Malachi today, I think Advent season this year should be sweeter than ever because of our time in the minor prophets. Today, Malachi, I think uniquely, will encourage us. We don't serve the Lord in vain. It's very encouraging. Mark Dever says this in his commentary on Malachi. Malachi is such a revealing ending to the Old Testament given the Bible's beginning. After God's marvelous act of creation, Genesis kicks off with the selfish sin of Adam and Eve. Their selfishness plants firm roots. So that by the time we get to Malachi, thousands of years later, after God has specially worked with his people again and again, after he has restored them from exile, after the walls and temple have been rebuilt, human selfishness is still flowering in full bloom no external circumstances will change the hearts of human beings selfishness ruled as sovereignly in the temple grounds of post-exile jerusalem as it did when adam and eve listened to the serpent times were hard when malachi wrote people were selfish God's people were suffering, the wicked were prospering, and some wondered if God cared. So what is the message of Malachi? Let's, let's dig in. Turn back to chapter 1, verse 1. The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. Malachi, the name means, it's the only place you will find a man named Malachi, the name means my messenger. This, this book is a message to God's people. 
And it is a message about how to worship him. It's about true worship. Today, if we, if we think, well, some worship is correct, some worship is incorrect, that seems strange to us today. But that's what Malachi is about. It's about acceptable worship. Look in verse 2. I have loved you, says the Lord. And then down in verse 6 he says, but you haven't loved me. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am a father, where is my honor? And if I am a master, where is my fear? Says the Lord of hosts to you, O priest, who despise my name. The priest. So he's not being honored. The Lord is not being feared. He's being despised. The Lord loved Israel. But God's people did not truly love him. They didn't fear the Lord. They hadn't honored him. They despised his name. His name, who he is, the true God. So we see here at the end of the Old Testament, God's plan to redeem his creation is still a work in progress. And in this book, the Lord challenges his people, his treasured possession, the ones he had chosen. He challenges them six times, six disputes he has with them. He calls them to worship him in spirit and truth. We'll boil it down to three areas where he challenges their relationships. He challenges their giving, their use of money, and he challenges their, ultimately, their religion. And we're going to see issues that concern our relationship with God. I think we'll find it relevant. So first of all, relationships. Look in chapter 2, verse 10. Have we not all one Father? Has not one God created us? Why then are we faithless to one another in our relationships, profaning the covenant of our fathers? Judah's been faithless. An abomination has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah has profaned the sanctuary of the Lord, which he loves, and has married the daughter of a foreign god. May the Lord cut off from the tents of Jacob any descendant of the man who does this, who brings an offering to the Lord of hosts. And this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears, with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. Their worship is not true worship. It's unacceptable. But you say, why does he not? Why doesn't he receive our worship? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to, you, to whom you have been faithless. Though she is your companion, companion in your wife by covenant did he not make them one in marriage with a portion of the spirit in their union and what was the one God seeking 
Godly offspring. So guard yourselves in your spirit and let none of you be faithless to the wife of your youth. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garment with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. So he speaks to the way they relate as families. Unacceptable worship is seen in our family relationships. First of all, they were marrying people who weren't believers. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, we are told, don't do this. Throughout the Old Testament, God did not allow his people to marry people who were not true worshipers. This was not a a racial issue. It wasn't something superficial like race. This was about their hearts. It was about whether they were true worshipers of God. If, if, If someone was a true worshiper of God... And you were encouraged to marry them. But Malachi speaks directly to this idea of marrying an unbeliever. It has a tremendous effect. And we should pause for a minute. Do not set your heart on someone who doesn't love Christ. Those of you who are married to believers... You know what an encouragement it is to worshiping God. So that's what the Lord first addresses, but he also addresses the fact they're getting divorced for unbiblical reasons, for hatred. In in the last verse of the Old Testament we just read, we saw when the Lord comes... He's going to restore the hearts of the fathers to the children, to the children to the fathers. He's going to go to work in families. The Lord affects a person's family. When he transforms their lives, he transforms their marriages. He transforms their families. So many of us could testify to do this. And I I want to honor the Lord. For what he's done in my family over the years, I give glory to him. I have another picture. This is my little granddaughter interrupting my devotions every day for a month. My daughter would bring her in most days and to get some sleep. I'd be the one up, and so she would come and bring her, and I would happily say, Lord, sorry, devotions are over. Friday was a sad day. She moved to California. Of all places. Mm. Now I really hate him. Just kidding. Just a little joke. Since the angel put that Bible on my table, I need to take that picture down. 
sorry. I found that serving the Lord is not in vain. He blesses beyond what we deserve. And if you say, well, I look at my family and it's not blessed, wait for the Lord, okay? The Lord does not promise that all the blessings will come by the time your kids are 18. There's no promise like that. Don't wait for the Lord. I often say to people, you know, are they still alive? Are your children still alive? You still have hope. Sometimes that's not the case. It's not vain to serve the Lord. He blesses and he cares about families. And there were things going on in their families, and he's addressing that. Verse 17, chapter 2, you have wearied the Lord with your words, but you say, how have we wearied him? By, sa by saying, everyone who does evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or, or by asking, where is the God of justice? So they're accusing God of allowing evil to prosper, evil people to prosper, and good people to suffer. They are seeing injustice, and they're wearying God with their words, saying, he delights in evil people the same way he, he delights in good people. That is not true. That is not true about God. That's the message of Malachi. They were believing that God didn't make distinctions, and he does make distinctions. And he will make dis distinctions. He is a God of justice, and he cares about justice. And he will see justice. He cares about how we treat people both in our families and out of our families. He cares how we treat our friends. He cares how we treat our enemies. He cares about justice. And he will make a distinction. He will intervene. He will have justice. And he wants his people to care about justice. Verse 17, where is the God of justice? And then the following verse, chapter 3, verse 1, behold, I send my messenger. That should ring a bell you're familiar with the gospel. I will send my messenger and he will prepare the way before me, the Lord. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple and he will make a distinction and there will be justice. Malachi is quoted in the New Testament by Paul, by Luke, by Jesus, and by Mark, the author of the Gospel of Mark uses these words to introduce John the Baptist who introduced Jesus Christ. Where is this God of justice? He's coming. John the Baptist is going to introduce him and he will suddenly appear in his first advent. He did come. He, come, he came and he satisfied justice, didn't he? He came and he died on the cross 
to satisfy once and for all the demands of justice. He endured the wrath of God revealed from heaven against all the ungodliness and wickedness of men. It was satisfied on the cross for everyone that would trust in him. He lived a perfect, sinless life. He suffered. He died on the cross. He was buried in the tomb according to the Old Testament scriptures. He fulfilled them. He rose from the dead on the third day. And all that Christ is and all that he did is counted as belonging to his followers who have faith in what he's accomplished. It's imputed to them. They are gathered out. They are chosen. He has loved them from all the sinful men. Because he loved them, they are chosen. They were guilty. They were objects of wrath, but they are chosen. And then Christ's death by faith is counted as theirs. Justice for them is satisfied. The penalty they owed for their sins It's not that God doesn't care. It's that he sent his son to die on the cross in their stead, in their place. And their penalty is paid in full. Justice is satisfied. That's what Malachi is about. Malachi is prophesying this hundreds of years beforehand. And it's not sufficient that we're just not guilty. You also have to be righteous. He lived a righteous life And it is counted as yours by faith. You'll notice today, if you're discerning, you'll discern a lot of self-righteousness. Especially when you start talking about justice. But for the true worshiper, there's no place for this. Those who truly worship God care about justice. God is just. He is a God of justice He is not indifferent to injustice, and he has proven that. He he wasn't required to care, but he cared so much and so deeply that he sent his only son to take on flesh and die on a cross for the sins of people like me and you. It's a display of justice. The message of Malachi is that he cares about how people are treated. He cares about our relationships. Secondly, God challenged their giving, their use of money. So look over in chapter 3, verse 6. I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. Because I'm faithful even when you're unfaithful. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse. For you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe. There's acceptable worship. Bring the full tithe. 
into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all the nations will call you blessed for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. The Lord will, will bless them when they are faithful to tithe. Temple worship had restarted. The temple had been rebuilt. The walls of Jerusalem had been rebuilt. Once again, People were bringing their sacrifices and their tithes to the temple, but they weren't bringing their best. They were bringing what was left over. They satisfied themselves first. If they had a little left over, they'd bring it and give it to the Lord. He had loved them. He had chosen them. He had brought them back, and he wanted them to give him their best. They should, and they didn't. He cared about their use of money. He cares about our use of money. Listen to Paul David Tripp in his great book, Lost in the Middle, Midlife and the Grace of God, which I recommend you read before you get to midlife. The word the Bible uses to capture this concept about what is most important to us is treasure. It's a great question. What is your Treasure. It's a wonderful word. A treasure is something that doesn't necessarily have intrinsic value. Most often, the value of a treasure is assigned value. That's why one man's trash is another man's treasure. If something is a treasure to you, you'll live to gain it, keep it, maintain it, and enjoy it. Your treasure will begin to capture your heart, your life. And whatever captures your heart will control your behavior. Whether your treasure was career success, the love and respect of your friends, your appearance, continual upgrading of your possessions, or some dream of an idyllic future, the crucible of midlife eventually reveals its real value. Your treasures were fool's gold, not really worth anything in the end. This is the message of Malachi to the, his original audience, but also to us. It's about what God's people treasure. You can't treasure God and money. You can't truly worship God and treasure something more than him. The people in Malachi's day were wondering, does God love us? But, but the Lord says, do you love me? That's the question. God's people had always been taught to give one-tenth of their income to the Lord. And now they weren't. They revealed how much they valued God. Don't miss the promise. So there's a promise here in verse 10, chapter 3. Bring the full tithe in. Put me to the test. See if I won't open the windows of heaven and pour down a blessing. The guy that led me to the Lord, he quoted this to me, I think, daily. He just believed the Lord would bless and it's his promise. Don't let the TV preachers rob you of this promise. 
the guys that aren't sincere, the guys that are using these verses wrongly. Don't, don't let them rob you. The Lord blesses. The Lord blesses when we, we trust Him. When, when we just had our newest granddaughter, she had to spend several days in the ICU, so her mom and dad have significant medical bills to address. And that reminded me of our first baby. When Sherry and I found out we were going to have a baby, we didn't have insurance. And then when the baby was born, we had a C-section, and so it was very expensive. And during her pregnancy, prior to the birth, we were included in a group insurance plan. But we were told, and it was made plain to us, they do not pay for pre-existing conditions. So I love to tell my oldest son, you are a pre you were a pre-existing condition. <laughs> we knew people in the plan who were just ahead of us, went through the same exact situation, and had to pay all the expenses out of pocket. Will was born, the insurance company paid for everything. I remember being on the phone with them, trying to make it clear this is not your policy. Do you understand? I did not want to lie for money. And I, I just want to, you're making a mistake here, okay? You're going against your policy. And they were just, no, we're paying for every dime of it. And it, it was, it might as well have been billions of dollars. We were so broke. It was, <laughs> it was very humbling. And I still give thanks to God. And I believe it's just the Lord's, blessing. He does things like have insurance companies give money against their policy. You know what a miracle that is? <laughs> <laughs> Application. Do you think Christian tithing sounds legalistic? Jesus once told a man to sell everything he had and give it to the poor and follow him. Following Christ means giving everything. What we see in the New Testament and history of the church is that Christians give everything and they do it with joy. They're like calves leaping from a stall because of what God has done in their life. 2 Corinthians 8.1, we're going to be looking at the folks that the Apostle Paul's talking about here when we study the book of Philippians coming up in a few weeks. Paul's talking about them. He wants you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. For they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. And this, not as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. That's Christian giving, okay? Yes, you can say tithing would be legalistic. You don't give because you're trying to earn your own righteousness based on the law, but you're set free by grace. 
and you give generously and cheerfully as, as believers. That's true worship. Finally, we can say that God challenged their overall religion. Their over, overall religion. Back in chapter 1, the book begins, I have loved you, says the Lord, but you say, how have you loved us? Is not Esau Jacob's brother? We talked about Esau, Edom. Yet I have loved Jacob, but Esau I have hated. I have laid waste his hill country and left his heritage to jackals of the desert. Verse 4, if Edom says we are shattered, but we will rebuild the ruins, the Lord of hosts says they may build, but I will tear down. And they will be called the wicked country and the people with whom the Lord is angry forever. Your own eyes shall see this and you shall say, Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. It's not vain to serve the Lord. Remember chapter 3, you will see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked. Between one who serves God and one who doesn't serve God. True worshipers, they're God's the Almighty God's, the sovereign ruler of the universe, they're his treasured possessions, and it matters. Paul uses verses 2 and 3 in Romans chapter 9 in the New Testament to talk about God's unconditional love, his unconditional mercy. Mercy comes to people, came to you, came to me because of God's free and sovereign grace. He was not obligated to show anybody mercy. Paul says, though, though they were not yet born, twins, Jacob and Esau, they had done nothing either good or bad. She was told, the mother was told, the older will serve the younger. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Jacob I loved, Esau I hated. Paul used these, these verses. Nothing in us, good or bad, past, present, determines who is shown mercy. All of us are unworthy of being shown mercy, but he has shown us mercy. I have loved you. That's the message of Malachi. I have loved you. Do you recognize this? Great is the Lord. This is, this is the truth. Do you know it's so easy to miss what the Bible reveals about God? This, we're doing theology. This is who God is. Today, if you're a believer, He has had amazing mercy on you that you didn't deserve. And so what he's calling us to is true worship in light of this. And I, I want you to, to see, is, is this your religion? I read this story about George Buttrick. He was pastor of Madison Avenue Presbyterian Church in New York. One week he had been off on a speaking engagement and he's flying back to New York City. And on the plane he had a pad and a pencil and he was making some notes for the following Sunday sermon. And the man seated next to him on the plane was watching him. And, and finally, he, he was curious, so he says to him, I, I hate to serve you, uh, disturb you, but you're obviously, you're working on something passionately. What in the world are you working on? 
And, and Buttrick says, you know, I'm a Presbyterian minister. I'm working on my sermon for Sunday. The man says, oh, religion. I don't like to get all caught up in the ins and outs and complexities of religion. I like to keep it simple. Do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule, that's my religion. I see, said Buttrick, and what do you do? I'm an astronomer. I teach at the university. Oh, yes, said Buttrick, astronomy. I, I don't like to get all caught up in the ins and outs and complexities of astronomy. Twinkle, twinkle, little star, that's my astronomy. <laughs> the point is, God has revealed truth about who he is. Great is the Lord beyond the border of Israel. I make a distinction, says the Lord, between those who fear the Lord and those who don't. And from the book of Malachi, the Lord wants to encourage you, you're not serving the Lord in vain. You're not serving him in vain. Oh, no. Now, you may be like the people in the day of Malachi. It's, it's hard times. But what matters is this word. This is who he is, and you can trust him. And that's the message today. If you go back to chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, the day is coming. It's, it's a constant refrain we've seen. So the, the book of Malachi, the whole Old Testament, it ends with this message, the day is coming. I'm going to send my messenger, Elijah, John the Baptist. He's coming. He's going to prepare the way for the Lord. We know from this vantage point, from the New Testament, exactly what happened. Malachi was fulfilled. John the Baptist did introduce Christ. The Lord did suddenly appear. What we learn from the New Testament is that that was his first advent. And now we know he's coming again. And this is what that day is. So the day is coming, chapter 4, verse 1, burning like an oven when all the arrogant, all evildoers, evil they will be stubble. The Lord is coming back and, and we should fear him. We should be aware of who he is and what is coming. A day of judgment is coming. And for the believer, it'll be an amazing display of his mercy. Because we will see him as he is. We will stand before him in awe. And because of Christ, he will receive us as a father. And he will commend us because of Christ but if you're here this morning if you're watching via the live stream and you're not a believer Malachi the message warns you there is a day coming you will give an account for your life and I appeal to you receive the gospel believe in Jesus Christ
Cry out to God for mercy today and pray that he would open the eyes of your heart and you would see the glory of God in the face of Christ and you would believe and be transformed like I was 44 years ago. Let me pray for you this morning. Father, thank you this morning for your grace. We thank you for the minor prophets. We thank you for Malachi. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your presence, Lord. Thank you, your, your word is like a sword. It pierces our soul, and it's good for our soul. And so we thank you this morning. Lord, I pray for blessings from your word today in the lives of the members of this congregation, for everyone who's listening. Lord, I do pray for those who don't know you. Lord, I pray like Cody, like me, like so many in this room, may they come to you and be saved, be born again for your glory alone, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to a message given by Bill Kittrell during a Sunday celebration service at Cornerstone Church of Knoxville. To find out more about Cornerstone Church of Knoxville, visit us at www.cornerstonechurchofknoxville.com or call our church office at 865-694-4356. We'd love to have you join us in our mission to treasure, grow in, and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ.